Okay, church, welcome to Sunday service. It is March 19th, 2023. Hope uh, all of you had a wonderful week as we gather together to worship God, as the people of God, we'll be reminded of the one true living God that we worship. So grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, as we gather together uh, to pray, sing, and lift worship to him and read from his word. Uh, may you be blessed this afternoon as the gathering of the saints comes to honor him. Uh, let's rise from our seats and together recite the Apostles' Creed as we remember the confession of our Christian Orthodox faith. Let's rise from our seats with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Shortly, I'm going to read from Psalm 33, 1 to 5. As we're called into worship, worship of our God, let us be reminded on the day of his crucifixion as the veil was torn that we were granted uh, for the first time uh, this liberty of freedom, in a sense, through Jesus Christ, uh, the second person of the Trinity, to be able to come to the Lord our Father to worship him um, in a much, uh, with a mediator once for all. So as I read from Psalm 33, 1 to 5, uh, you can just take a moment to meditate and think about these words. If it helps, you can close your eyes. This is Psalm 33. Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Sing praises to him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. Amen. Let's take a moment at this time with our eyes closed, a silent prayer in our own hearts, a confession of sin. As we come before a holy God, let us be reminded of our unholiness. 1 John 1.9 reads, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's take a moment to pray silently in our hearts prayer of confession. in Christ's name. Amen. Let me read to you Isaiah 44, 22. This verse reads, I have wiped out your transgressions like a thick cloud and your sins like a heavy mist. Return to me for I have redeemed you. We're reminded at this time that it is the Lord who wipes out our transgressions. It is only he who can forgive us of our sins. The sins you've just confessed, we believe that through our mediator, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, through his death on the cross on behalf of our sins and his resurrection from the grave, through him and him alone, in your union with him, have your transgressions been wiped out like a thick cloud. Be reminded of this as assurance of your pardon of sin. I'd like to now draw your attention to the screen as we read question 100 of our Westminster Shorter Catechism. Now, those of you who are familiar with the Shorter Catechism will uh, probably note in your minds that there are 107 questions in the shorter version of the catechism, meaning we only have eight of these left, uh, including today. So let's read question 100. This also marks 100 Sundays worth 
of us going through these. So, question 100 reads, What does the preface of the Lord's Prayer teach us? Let's read together answer 100. The preface of the Lord's Prayer, which is, Our Father, which art in heaven, teaches us to draw near to God with all holy reverence and confidence as children to a father, able and ready to help us, and that we should pray with and for others. What a great reminder at the beginning, the preface of the Lord's Prayer, that it is our Father who art in heaven. It teaches us, just as right now as we worship Him, that we are to draw near to God as He invites us to Him. Uh, and we are to do so with all holy reverence and awe and majesty, but also with confidence because we are His children, adopted children, and He is our Father. So, uh, this time, I'd like to pray for us as we do come before this wonderful holy God of ours in holy reverence and confidence. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who came and died for us. Father, we thank you that although we are unworthy, for the free, grace, free gift of grace, um, that you give us faith and you grant us uh, this amazing benefit, this amazing um, gift that we're able to enjoy together, which is to be together as the saints, adopt the children, and be able to worship you. God, we are so unworthy of this and so undeserving, and yet we are reminded of your wonderful uh, invitation through grace to be with you this day. We thank you for this gathering. We thank you for the brother and sister next to us. We thank you for the faith that each of us has been granted, and we ask that this time that you would be lifted, honored, and glorified, that you be pleased through the worship we lift to you. Thank you, O oh Lord. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's rise from our seats as we sing together.
to all of you once again. Uh, you might have noticed uh, we're missing our typical uh, guitarist <laughs> and vocal. Uh, if you could pray for June, he's unfortunately uh, under the weather. Uh, he had to drive to London to pick up Joy and um, yeah, it's just unfortunately his health uh, did not permit him to be able to join us today. So please uh, keep him in prayer. And so fortunately I had to step in as a backup. So, But God, you know, all glory to God. <laughs> um, we're going to continue our sermon series in the Gospel of Mark. So please turn to Mark 4, 26 to 34. It's Mark 4, verse 26 to 34. So the first, uh, the first half of this chapter really focuses on the parable of the sower. And we've, of course, taken about three weeks to observe the text, observe firstly the parable itself, Christ's uh, proclamation of the meaning of the parables, and then, of course, the explanation of the parable itself. Last week, we saw continuation on the theme of parables, and we saw, of course, Christ, the lamp, right, or the light, who came and uh, to shine in the darkness, as uh, John 1 teaches us, and, and in, in the Gospel of Mark, it's articulated as a lamp that is brought, that it comes, that is sent by God uh, to shine light, and so we observed that text last week. Today, we look at Another famous, I think, or at least popular or widely known parable of Jesus uh, in Mark 4, verses 30, 26 to 34, regarding the parable uh, of the seed and the parable of the mustard seed. So let's read it together, or I'll read it, and you can follow in your Bibles. I'll read from mine. This is the word of God, Mark 4, verse 26. And he, Jesus, was saying, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and gets up by day, and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, how shall we picture the kingdom of God? Or by what parable shall we present it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, Though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches, so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. With many such parables, he was speaking the word to them so far as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. Amen. This is the word of God. I'd like to pray before we begin, and I'd like to pray a simple prayer today just, uh, just to, for the Spirit to really enlighten to us God's Word and illuminate its truth to our minds and our hearts. Uh, and so let's pray together. Let's bow our heads. Gracious God, we thank you this afternoon for gathering us once again. Lord, at times worship can become, especially Sunday service, almost routine, almost mundane to us, that we become numb to its richness. God, may we not forget how wonderful and how much of a privilege it is to be able to come together as brothers and sisters to worship you and to read your word and dive into its truth. But Lord, we know that the capacity of our minds are so lowly and incapable of truly understanding this text. And so God, we ask for the Spirit to illuminate its truth to us at this time, to reveal its transformative power, that the text itself would become transformative in us. Lord God, we ask that its teaching would be received and that it would be nourishing to our souls. We thank you so much, and we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Today's sermon is entitled, Seeds That Grow. I haven't sang in so long. I'm so thirsty. It's crazy. I'm so sorry. Wow. 
Okay, <laughs> it's really dry. Um, our sermon is entitled Seeds That Grow. In this chapter, we have already observed the parable of the sower, which taught on the mystery of the kingdom of God. We've also been taught that the coming of Christ is like that of a lamp that has come to be placed upon a lampstand so that its light may shine for the sake of others. Christ is teaching us throughout this chapter the subtle realities of the kingdom of God. And to his original hearers, many of these things would have differed from their learned expectations of the kingdom of God. It must have been odd for them to hear that the grand aspects of their religions and their religion were like such simple day-to-day elements of their lives. It speaks to the simplicity of such things, but also our tendency to not see the magnificence and brilliance of the mundane aspects of everyday life, such as farmers sowing seeds and then observing growth. That's really where our text leads us today. We're given two more parables, but they both speak of the kingdom of God specifically. And in them, Jesus gives us two layers of understanding about the kingdom. Again, the truth of these parables would have been shocking to its original hearers, and I would argue that they break the norm also in our understanding today. In the first parable, the kingdom is likened to the planting of a seed, similar to the parable of the sower that we read in the first half of Mark 4, but instead of focus being on the nature of the soil, the focus is placed on the mysterious unseen growth that the seed undertakes separate from the work or ability of the sower. The second parable likens the kingdom to that of a mustard seed, a seed so small and yet so full of potential. It is at times very easy to disregard kingdom work as something so minuscule, something so small and insignificant that it will not be able to make a dent or effect in this world. I'm reminded of men like William Wilberforce, who was a British politician during the time of the colonial slavery, and out of his Christian conviction and biblical values, he chose to fight a behemoth of a system. Out of his Christian conviction and biblical values, he chose to fight this system, and many would call it a battle not worth undertaking. Just by the sheer size of the issue, he was hoping to address. Many more would call it an impossible battle to win, That task, of course, was to abolish slavery in the British Empire. But nonetheless, he did take on this task because he understood his work to be of God and for God and for the sake of godly cause. Kingdom work, if you will. And I think it would be fair to say this, that he had a vastly different understanding of what kingdom work looked like, at least to us today. So let's take a look at today's text and then we'll come back to Wilberforce and conclude our sermon. Two points to today's sermon. The first comes from verses 26 to 29, how the seed grows, how the seed grows. The second point, from small to large, verses 30 to 32. Let's look at the first point, how the seed grows, the first parable in verses 26 to 29. Now, in this first parable, I mentioned earlier that the focus is on the invisible growth of the seed. The man who sows the seed does so by his own effort, And it is indeed planted by him. But that is where the man's contribution ends. For he can do nothing else to cause growth. It's kind of reminiscent of what we read in 1 Corinthians with Paul, right? Talking of, uh, speaking of himself being one of a planter. Paul comes and waters it. But God is the one who makes it grow. Jesus says that this man proceeds to go to bed at night. And the next day he wakes up to sprouts. What needs to be realized is this, that the seed grows despite and independent of the man's efforts or lack thereof. That sprout grows more from, uh, more from blade to a mature grain and then to an entire harvest. The focus here is on how the seed grows. And the answer Jesus gives is that it grows on its own. The seed grows and will grow indeed. So here's the hope of this message. The kingdom of God grows despite us. As it is planted, its growth is independent of the work that you and I do. I'm reminded of the passage in Matthew 9.37 that the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. We tend to focus, if you ever go on like a missions conference or campus ministries, tend to focus on the workers are few. Come and work. Be a laborer for Christ. And we tend to focus on this part 
the lack that is indicated by Christ in this verse, the lack of workers. But here's the celebration of that text. The celebration of Matthew 9, verse 37, is that there is a harvest that is absolutely guaranteed by God. That harvest is the work of God. His kingdom grown, and it is certain, although slow and steady at times. That growth is inevitable because it is not the work of the sower, but the work of God. What is even further extraordinary to me in this text is that Christ compares the kingdom of God to a mere seed. Did that startle you? Many of you might hear such parable and go, I'm used to hearing such things, so I'm not really in tune with how extraordinary this parable would have been, how extraordinary this parable would have been received by its original audience. When you hear the kingdom is like that of a seed, you just go, yeah, I've heard that before. But to the original hearers, who were actually farmers and sowers and men and women of agricultural uh, practice, to compare the kingdom to the mundane tasks that they do every single day would have been extraordinary. Extraordinary. It's a mere seed that is sown. Did you take notice of this? Perhaps we've been saturated with such readings that the gravity of the comparison doesn't really settle in our minds. The Jews of this time would have imagined the kingdom of God to be grand and glorious, full of splendor. They would imagine a powerful nation of political might and influence. Talk to Muslims today, they would say that heaven, or for them, what is heaven, where Allah is, is not only infinitely large, but infinitely great in all its ways, where all pleasures are available and accessible to them, something like that of a golden palace, something that screams luxury and wealth and value. Many Christians grew up with the image of the kingdom, or heaven, as being a glorious place of pure white, with clouds and angels everywhere, right? An infinite span of space and time, of goodness and pleasure. And yet in Mark 4, 26, the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself says, the kingdom of God is like a man who plants a seed. The kingdom is like a man who plants a seed. Brothers and sisters, this is the paradox of the Christian gospel. To imagine that the Savior of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, would come as a mere mortal and be willing to die for us, not just any death, but death on a cross. To see that and know that this is the most glorious event in human history, that victory is on display through the hanging of an innocent man on a Roman cross, that his death is in fact life, such is the paradox of the things of, the, of God's kingdom. That Christ would compare it to the mundane activity of a lowly farmer who casts seeds in hopes of a harvest to come. Do not be fooled by the disguise of the kingdom, if you will. For it is no disguise at all. For the believer is able to truly hear and truly see that even in seeds, the work of God is present. And such is the case with his kingdom. If God can make a seed grow, certainly his kingdom will grow too. Hidden in the everyday common tasks that we endure and observe and we take for granted, God is at work. And all things, including his kingdom, are growing by his accord. So that's the focus of that first parable, the invisible growth of this seed and the causation being God, but the result being certain. Which leads us to our second parable, from small to large, this mustard seed parable. The second parable tells us another reality of the kingdom of God, that it is like a mustard seed. <laughs> we went from seed to a very specific seed, right? Mustard seed. Now, many of you may have never seen a mustard seed. Yes, mustard, the condiment that you enjoy on your hot dogs, comes from mustard seeds. <laughs> they are re absolutely related. And that is sort of the point here, that you've never seen this seed because they're unimaginably small. The original hearers would have understood this comparison immediately as they were well-versed in agricultural matters. Whereas the first parable of the kingdom focused on the natural growth of the kingdom and its eventual harvest, 
This parable focuses on the unexpected form of the kingdom and the greater unexpected outcome from such an origin. The kingdom may seem small to you, but its end is immense. So what do you suppose this is to teach us? It is meant to sober our minds, to not think on human levels. You see, rationality and probability are powerful tools in measuring and quantifying the reality of the world around us. They help us to make sense of and understand the things that are happening all around us all the time. And yet, as close as we can get to understanding, predicting, uh, sorry, as close as we can get to understanding, predicting is a whole other level of understanding. The, real, the reality is this, that human technology has improved to put computers in our hands, to have the entire world connected through electrical and optical wires. We've put men on the moon, and perhaps Mr. Musk will put, ha- will put men on Mars very soon. And yet, and yet, with all this technological advancement, our weather apps can't tell us with certainty what tomorrow's weather will be. Many people today say that religion is dying, that the church is in its demise, It can seem so small to us at times when we go to our churches, when we go out into our workplaces and our schools and into our social gatherings, places where non-Christians gather together, we may feel like the minority. And perhaps we are, and we certainly are, at least by scriptural teaching. Very few will walk the narrow path. But here's what we fail to see as believers. We fail to see the reality of the kingdom as a mustard seed the potential of that seed. And in time, God guarantees its immensity. Not immensity in size, per se, or population, but impact, influence, total reign. The promise of the first parable, remember, is that growth is certain. And here the promise is that the growth is certain despite its size, at least at the moment. The contrast of the seed to the plants that grow later. Plants so large, listen to what Jesus says, these plants are so large that they will provide a home for animals, for birds to build their nests. That last part of this parable is quite important. And you may not catch its meaning because I think a lot of the Old Testament imagery, at least Hebrew Old Testament imagery, is lost to you. It's not to be lost in the shuffle of the parable's main point. You see, Jesus uses a common Old Testament imagery here of birds finding a nest, which speaks of the kingdom of God becoming open to all peoples. That means that Gentiles will and always were a part of God's plan for humanity. That his people, covenant people of God, did not mean a specific ethnic people, but a group of people who God has elected from all peoples. This was, all, this was and always was the case, and Jesus makes this point clear to us today. The kingdom will only continue to grow from its humble roots and one day will become home to peoples of all nations. Here's James Edwards in his commentary on this particular verse. He writes, Out of the most insignificant beginnings, invisible to human eyes, God creates his mighty kingdom, which embraces all the peoples of the world. So those are our two points. The first parable speaks the kingdom like that of a seed that is sown and that the growth of that kingdom is caused by God. And then the second is that the kingdom of God, although its outcome will be immense, is like that of a mustard seed at times in our perspective. Let's bring it all together in our conclusion. Point one, God's kingdom will inevitably grow because God will make it so. He has promised it to be so. And two, there will always be a kingdom of God. It will endure. And it may at times seem so small and insignificant, but it will last forever. And it will be large one day, encompassing many people from many different people groups. Well, So what does this mean for us? What are we to, I guess, take away from this? You never need to doubt whether your labor in the Lord will bear fruit. Although Abraham and Moses never set foot in the promised land with Israel, they stayed faithful to God. Future generations ultimately did step foot there. Stay faithful to the Lord. He will cause growth as he wills and when he wills. 
Our job is not to dictate the outcome. Our job is to hope for it and be faithful where we are. The second is this. The church will never die. I have a lot of like pastoral meetings. You have no idea how many um, gatherings I have with uh, numerous different pastors across the city. I have meetings for this, like college ministers, youth pastors, these pastors, those pastors. And we gather together, and so many times we discuss this, almost the dire situation of the church uh, in today's world. And at times it seems almost depressing. But we always remember together, and we're always reminded by our seniors, the church will never die. That God did not send his son to die on the cross hoping for his church to be established. He sent his son knowing that there will be a bride. We need, to not, uh, we need not to live in any fear that the kingdom is secured and his people along with it. So brothers and sisters, love your church and, so- and serve the Lord within it. There's no need to fear whether the church will indeed last. What is that? I think it's out of battery. Here's my conclusion for today. Let's get back to William Wilberforce. Wilberforce was a British politician who as a child attended the church. Many of you may not know this. He attended the church of John Newton the man who once was a slave trader and then became a believer and wrote the lyrics to Amazing Grace. After becoming a believer himself and later uh, became a politician in the British Parliament, Wilberforce spent nearly 40 years of his life. 40. No one is 40 here, right? He spent 40 years, almost 40 years of his life, 38 to be exact, but from 1787 to 1825, As a British politician, he tried to abolish the slave trade in the British Empire. His efforts saw little progress that did not hinder him, nor did he back down. In 1807, he won his first vote to pass a law to abolish the slave trade in the British West Indies, but it did not lead to immediate results anywhere else in the empire. So Wilberforce eventually retired from Parliament after an incredibly long battle uh, with different politicians and people of power in the British Empire. And he finally retired from Parliament in 1825. And he passed along his courageous fight uh, for the abolition to his friend Thomas Buxton. And after his retirement, eight years later, on July 26, 1833, the Slavery Abolition Act was passed in the British Parliament. And within a month, it became British law. Everything Wilberforce fought for, for nearly 40 years of his life, finally became reality. Three days later, on July 29th, after that act was passed, he breathed his last and died, having finally seen the fruit of his labor. 40 years of fighting for conviction, and for what he believed was right before the Lord. Perhaps this is what Jesus means, to to a smaller degree, when he says the kingdom is like a mustard seed that grows to a large plant. Is it not evident that our mandate is to remain faithful with little, for when it becomes much, we will remain faithful? I praise God for men like this who have set example before us For through them, we are able to be challenged to live challenging lives, not seeking comfort or seeking lives for the things of this world, but seeking to live challenging lives for the Lord and for the sake of things greater than our own personal benefit. Brothers and sisters, I hope to some degree that Wilberforce's story has uh, stirred something in your heart, perhaps an attitude change, and furthermore, that the words of Christ today in Mark 4 have compelled you to understand the service of the Lord and the kingdom is worth giving everything for.
And that's such a cliched statement in the Christian church, right? That just give everything to the Lord, give, dedicate yourself. But it's become cliched because we don't do it. We don't live with this attitude. Let's meditate and pray over what God has taught us today. Let us pray. Let's rise from our seats as we sing in response. It's an age-old hymn, um, classic. I'm sure you all know it. So I would love to hear uh, the church sing together this day. Let's sing together. Come thou fount.
Gracious God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for its teaching. Lord, at times we read these things from your word and we receive them well, but they remain so temporary within us. I hope that the teaching of today's text would instead be permanently stained within us, that it would help us to be mindful of kingdom realities and kingdom truths. The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil, and that it is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, that it will grow and become larger than all the garden plants. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. We thank you for your son and your gift that he is to us, his coming, his dying, resurrection. We look forward to being with him forever one day. This offering we give to you from the provision you firstly give to us, God. You provide for us daily. And so, Lord, we give this offering to your church. We ask that it would be used faithfully for kingdom work and kingdom ministry, both here and in the city. We thank you for this wonderful community we have. May we not, not take it for granted, and rather love one another as you have taught us. We thank you and praise you and pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I want to welcome all of you. Uh, thank you for being with us here today. It's a very interesting, interesting weather we're getting. Blizzard, sun, blizzard, sun. Interesting. But I'd like to welcome all of you. Uh, newcomers, uh, we... Welcome you to our church. Uh, if it's your first time, we'd love to connect with you today um, and just get to hear a little bit of your story um, and just get to know you. So welcome to Sheepgate. For those rest of you who are regular attendees of our church, welcome back. Uh, our offerings can be sent uh, two ways, one through e-transfer to sheepgatefellowship at gmail.com. Uh, if you'd like to specifically give towards uh, Turkey and our uh, ultimate, like we're going to ultimately send a bit of a financial assistance overseas. Um, if you'd like to give towards that, just note that in the note section, and we'll make sure those funds are allocated towards that. Uh, and you can also give, of course, uh, physically. If you'd like to give a physical offering, just put an envelope, put your name on it, and uh, we'll take it. Uh, please join us, with that said, for fellowship at our other church building following service today. So if you need a ride, just let us know. We'll head over there together and enjoy a nice meal together. Uh, and following that meal, we'll have our confession study. So we'll continue in our Westminster Confessions of Faith uh, study together, so please join us uh, if you're available. And um, yeah, just a couple updates. Again, uh, Clay from Turkey is a missionary that we're directly supporting and working with there. Uh, he will be joining us on the last week of April, so it's not this month, but not last week of April. He'll be joining us. He'll be sharing a little bit about, uh, uh, do a little bit, a bit, little bit of debrief. It's really hard to say. I don't know why. A little bit of debrief. Uh, on what's going on in Turkey, especially with the earthquake, earthquake situation. And then the first Sunday of April, on April 2nd, I believe it is, uh, that Sunday we'll have um, Kyle Hackman come in from Christ Church, and he will preach to us on that day. Uh, and I'm looking forward to that. Um, and on April 9th, we will have um, our Easter Sunday service, right? So on that Sunday, we'll have our baptism and confirmations, as uh, training has begun and uh, people are getting ready for that, uh, please pray for them. So if you know who they are, just keep them in your prayer as we go through uh, baptismal and confirmation training. Um, and I think that's it for announcements. Am I forgetting? Oh, this week was uh, March break, so uh, some of us headed north uh, to attend Vision X. Um, and it was a very wonderful time. We were able to serve. Low-key, I, uh, I think I slept too much when I was there. Um, but anyways, um, yeah, we, we served it where we could. It's a great opportunity to pray for the students. Um, just a little update for you guys. Uh, I was on overseeing sort of AV. Mikey was doing photography, and June, who is now sick, um, was doing uh, the PowerPoint. So we were able to serve in different capacities, kind of behind the scenes. Uh, but I en engaged in some great conversations, uh, particularly in my seminar on the Protestant Reformation I had some keen, uh, I guess, I don't know, like Bible nerds uh, attend my uh, seminar, and some of the questions were fantastic. I had one student who actually asked, 
my mom's a dispensationalist, my dad's a covenant theologian, what do I do? Like, how do I, like, who do I believe? And so, you know, being a faithful Reformed Presbyterian, I had to give him, your mom's wrong on this one. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, it is what it is, but uh, gave him a good breakdown and uh, had some really great, deep theological conversations, which really gave me hope. It gave me hope that there are uh, believers out there, younger than us, who are keen to know more about their faith and grow in their knowledge of God, grow in their knowledge of God's word. Uh, I got to connect with that student uh, over the course of the duration. He was actually really concerned with uh, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, so he kept on asking for prayer, like, please pray that I do not blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. I don't know why this became a thing, but I'm meeting a lot of kids who are worried that they blasphemed against the Holy Spirit, so I've been trying to explain this exegetically to them and uh, praying with them through that. So, I mean, wonderful to see that kind of um, keenness, I guess, in younger minds. Anyways, please keep our younger brothers and sisters in your prayers um, and keep them, um, obviously, you know, if you run into them, uh, please be a good role model example to them. With that said, I'd like to rise from our seats and end off today's service with the Lord's Prayer. Let us pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, thank you for joining us today. Uh, we'll see you at the other building for lunch. And then if we can get some helping hands to pack up, we'll see you there. <laughs>